Welcome to JDM Imported. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the JDM Imported Podcast. This is episode 14. I'm your host, Dante Prinzo, owner of Elusive Auto Company, as well as Elusive Auto Shine uh, Detailing for all your fine detailing needs. Um, So listen, as always, thanks for the listen. Thanks for the support. You know, I'm excited to to get another episode in. And uh, full disclosure, as always, as you know, if you've listened... Uh, this is the journey of uh, the start of my business, you know, from uh, from a hobby to brick and mortar, which looks like I'm still on track uh, to start the brick and mortar for the importing business, as well as the detailing. And um, this little spot here, this five minute intro is recorded separately from the rest of the episode. And that's simply because I'm microphone issues. I'll tell you what, most frustrating thing about a podcast isn't thinking of topics, isn't like checking analytics to see how many people are listening to. It's recording an episode and then having equipment failure. So my first five minutes intro, uh, my microphone was having issues when I went for playback. So if the audio sounds a little different from here to like 10 minutes in, my apologies. But hey, again, you're always going to get a clear picture, a window, not a door into uh, into what I'm doing here. So whatever, it's just something we're going through. So sitting at the kitchen table, chatting a little bit. As always, you can find me, uh, social media, uh, feel free to DM, email me. So it's uh, Dante at Elusive Auto Co, E-L-U-S-I-V-E, Auto Co. And, um, you know, I'd pre- hey, I'd appreciate a, uh, a follow on the, uh, the detailing side of things too. I'm trying to at least get a little more recognition out there for that. So it's Elusive Auto Co for all the JDM goodies, Elusive Auto Shine, you know, if you want to follow along, if, uh, you know, put up some stuff, some uh, little how-tos, maybe some products I've used, stuff like that that might be helpful if you're into it. If not, totally understand. You know, sometimes those things don't cross over. So, um, but yeah, uh, as always, you guys, you guys guide the show. You know, I really listen to what you say, and uh, and that's that's how I want this to work. I want this to, to kind of be, kind of be my my stampede, right? The ear to the ground. So you can hear kind of what's coming before it's there. And that's what I wanted this podcast to be a transparent view that you guys can learn something from, uh, provoke thought even at least, but, uh, but also it's a very helpful tool for me to kind of see what people are like, are interested in what they're asking for, what they're curious about, you know, because that's, um, that's where I want to take the podcast. So you guys get the most out of it. And it's going to be paramount to helping my business, you know, so I'm not ever going to be too divorced from the consumer. I want to be a consumer that's creating fans, not a businessman creating customers because customers come and go. Uh, Fans, whether they buy something from you or not, help you. And in turn, I think you you have the obligation to help them for free, you know, not just uh, not just try to squeeze every cent out. So you know, and just like the services, I mean, not to plug or anything, but I mean, my services now, they're starting to, to ramp up a little more since I'm a little bit handicapped as, as to the cars that I can bring in in North Carolina before I leave. So I'm putting a little more emphasis on the consulting, you know, so if somebody wants to bring a specific car in, but they want to be involved in it, I can be there basically as your, you know, 24-7 uh, shadow. If you have questions about uh, you know, the documents, we can do a shared screen on filling them out step by step, how to, uh, you know, picking up the car, all the kind of pitfalls, things you're going to run into. And then also, you know, for people that want to, uh, want kind of the full service, um, you know, sourcing the car, you know, where you get 30 pictures, a startup, you know, a lot of details more so than, you know, just what you're going to get logging onto websites, you know, um, not that it's bad, you know, like, Japan partners, stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're fine resources, but you don't get a lot of details. So there's, uh, there's a lot more risk, right? Um, so, you know, this way you get a little more, uh, you know, you get free translation of every auction sheet. Um, like I said, the, the pictures of top side, underside, inside, outside, 
you know, uh, verification that it starts up, it holds oil press, you know, all that stuff that I think is important because at the end of the day, these are classics. There's always going to be surprises, but if you can mitigate those, I always think it's worth it. So, you know, that's something I, um, you know, I want to continue to, uh, to let people know that's out there and, and help them out with it to, uh, you know, to help grow the community, but also, you know, keeps me in the game while I'm waiting to be able to, to bring more cars in. So that's that. So, yeah, so before I get into some of the things, uh, some of the things we're going to cover in this episode, uh, I did want to touch on something, you know, little, we'll call it a little, uh, internal reflection time. So, you know, things are going well, like I said, on track for, uh, for the move from North Carolina here to Pittsburgh. Family's going to be moving up there and, uh, and I'm looking for shop space, you know, and in that space we'll have the, uh, you know, getting the dealership license and all that stuff. So we'll have the cars and, uh, and other services. Cause as I've mentioned before, I don't think, uh, in general, and again, in general, uh, it's a good idea to just have a single pointed focus business, uh, at least, at least in this sector, right? I mean, if you're selling a widget, you're selling a widget. If it's specific, I mean, whatever, you're not going to be offering services all around it, but you know, automotive dealership, like anything else, I mean, you, you need other streams of revenue. That's why I started up the detailing portion, uh, because that's something I want to offer. Because, I mean, quite frankly, and the, the thing I really like most is, you know, rejuvenating cars. And like I've said, I mean, even if this is a four-grade auction car that's been imported, you know, if somebody really wants a clean example, it's going to need, you know, 10 to 20 hours of like serious love. So that's, you know, something I can offer. If someone wants a car that's ready to roll, ready to take to a show, uh, and obviously another revenue stream as, uh, as things might be slow, you know, because it's, it's seasonal, it's cyclical. Uh, so uh, so that, that's what I wanted to share, you know, for any of you. And obviously I get, I get a lot of questions, again, about, uh, you know, people want, want to bring in parts, people that want to bring in uh, cars and do builds, and uh, there's a lot of different ways to do this. So, but I think just kind of sharing what I'm going through can be helpful. Hopefully it is. Let me know if it is. If it's not, let me know too. I mean, again, I like the feedback. I answer all emails and DMs, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. So luckily it's been good thus far. But, uh, but anyway, so, it, you know, before we get into it, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about business and kind of where I am right now. Uh, you know, I'm anxious, right? I mean, it's been years. I'm really antsy to get, uh, I feel like it's not official until I have like my benchmarks hit and my benchmarks are brick and mortar and, uh, in, in hiring, you know, making my first hire. So that poses the question, give us some thought, you know, and let me know, let me know your feedback, you know, and again, this isn't to, uh, to put anyone down. It's, it's something that I've thought about myself is what, what makes a business official? Like what makes, what makes it appropriate to say this is my business as opposed to this is my hobby, right? Because we can have a lot of hobbies. I mean, like I consider it when I, you know, bought and sold uh, sneakers. Like that's a hobby. That wasn't a business. Yeah, I made some money, uh, but mainly I did it because it was fun. And, uh, you know, I like limited edition sneakers. It was a way to kind of pay for that habit, if you will. And uh, But I, I would never say it was a business, you know. Um, does, does making a business when you file for a name and uh, taxes and stuff, you know, it's, that's all the stuff I've gone through. It's, so it's legitimate now, you know, filed with the IRS, all that stuff, have been for a while. But um, it still doesn't feel worthy of, like, celebration, you know. And, and I'm kind of waiting for that moment. Like, when's that moment when I'll be like, boom, I hit it, my milestone, my goal, uh, which, you know, I have lofty goals. Uh, you know, and, and my, my goal is <laughs> never to hit all my goals. I always keep changing them. But uh you know, does it, uh, now me personally, you know, thinking about it, like, I'm not going to feel validated, feel like I've kind of, I, I can say like, this is my business until I hit the benchmark of not supporting myself, not supporting the business, but being able to support someone else. I feel like that, that and the brick and mortar are really going to solidify it for me. You know, is it, um, you know, is it not a business if you're just by yourself? Absolutely no. You know, if uh, if it's something that, you know, you can pay your bills and get by, you're happy with it, that's fine. But just for me, like, that's my benchmark to to say, like, hey, like, I did it. I, I accomplished what I set out to accomplish was to turn this hobby into a business that can sustain itself and somebody else. So, 
You know, and that's what I'm thinking about now. You know, that, that all-important first hire. You know, it's a small business. Clearly, it's me. I do everything. I do the marketing. I do the wrench work. I do the detailing work. I do the sourcing, um, the logistics for import. Like, I do it all, right? And, um, you know, I'm going to need somebody that, uh, you know, can offer a little more than, like, I don't know, just being good with uh, RB and Jay-Z motors, you know, or someone that's just good, more than good with... Uh, you know, paint correction, whatever it may be. So I wanted to just really pose that question, you know. And again, there's no right or, an- right or wrong answer. Uh, I, I love that people come to me with these ideas. I want to help them. As always, I think the more that are in this industry, that are bringing parts in, cars over, the better it is for all of us. Because a lot of my time is, is spent educating people and the more consumers out there that uh, digest content or information from people other than me, the my thought is the better it is for me, right? It's just like, I'll give you a quick sidebar. A sidebar on our sidebar. We're still not on topic yet, but that's cool. We'll get there. I'm just talking here. I'm just rapping you guys a bit. So uh, so quick sidebar to that point is, uh, for instance, my M5 that I'm selling. It's a personal car, so I'm not really you know pushing it too much on the website. It kind of doesn't really go with the brand, and I don't want things to get kind of mixed up between cars that come in and I refurbish and get ready for sale and something that's my personal car. So it's, you know, an E60 M5, you know, V10 2006 model, and I'm getting rid of it. I don't need it for anything, really. You know, it kind of, it was my only car, my everyday car. So it gave me that thrill. It gave that grumble, that, you know, that that feel and that enthusiast feel. And, uh, and I could fit two seats in the back, child seats, but... You know, I have the truck now for the business, and it's just, it's kind of a luxury I don't need. So it's out of here. Free up some cash to, uh, to continue things going forward. So in that, you know, uh, I've been running across people looking at these, looking at my M5 that are BMW enthusiasts and, and some that are not. It's perfectly fine for someone not to be an enthusiast. I, again, I like talking. I like teaching. Really, like, Sharing what I know is is a lot of fun. Sharing and listening, because obviously I don't know anything. I know a very small fraction of what there is to know. And, you know, Japanese cars, German cars, like there's there's a lot of complexity to it. So I'm never going to say that I'm an expert. But I like sharing things that I've been through and I know. And so I'm fine with people coming to me that are, you know, maybe haven't done any research on the car, don't know any of the kind of historical maintenance things and stuff that you're going to have to be aware of. But, um you know, it's one of those those times I, I take a step back and I've gone through, you know, a couple test drives with people. They're like, ah, you know, the transmission, I think something's wrong. and Or, ah, it just doesn't feel like it has much low-end torque. I think something's wrong. And I think to myself, well, yeah, this is why I'm sharing and, and I'm helping answer questions to people that could be my competitors. And the reason I'm doing that is is just for this, because there's there will be more knowledge and education out there. Uh, because for specific cars like my M5, it's not like, it's not like it's a rare car, but it's different. You know, it's like the, it's like, uh, the equivalent of the RX-8, right? So the RX-8 was a mass produced rotary. You know, they produce a lot of units. Uh, obviously it didn't sell as well as Mazda had hoped. And I think a lot of that was miseducation. So you had a lot of non-enthusiasts buying a rotary motor that didn't really understand the intricacies of taking care of it, of starting it up. You know, a dealer might go over on delivery, hey, you need to let it idle, you can't just move it and turn it off, start it, stop it, you know, and inch it around your garage all the time, you're going to cause issues. Uh, so with that came a lot of issues. The rotary motor was seemingly unreliable because you had a lot of people, a lot of numbers, sales numbers of, uh, of people that just weren't properly taking care of them. And by no fault of their own, it's just lack of information, lack of knowledge. They're not in it, right? They're not in the culture. So... And, and I don't get frustrated when I come across things like that selling my M5 because it's kind of a, it's a bit of a specialized car, you know, so I have these people, um, you know, that drive and are like, oh, something's wrong with the transmission. I'm like, well, absolutely nothing's wrong with it because, you know, if you've been around that car, if anything's a slight bit off, I mean, it's in limp mode. It doesn't do anything. I mean, we're talking, especially with the SMG, if there's a drop in pressure with the, with the uh, hydraulic system that engages the clutch. If there's anything, I mean, it's, it's obvious. The thing runs like trash. So the fact that it turns on, it shifts smoothly, 
runs through all the paces is usually all you need to know that it's good. I mean, it's either working or it isn't. And on top of that, you know, I, I have the DIS software, which is like the dealership software. So I've run all the tests and everything's healthy without getting into too many like German details. But, uh, you know, so I've been running into that. You know, people are like, oh, something's wrong with the transmission. I'm like, no, it's a 2006. It's, uh, you know, SMG. It's an automated clutch. It's not going to feel like an auto. It's not like a twin disc these days, which everyone's used to, that shifts instantly. It shifts slow like, you know, a human would when they're driving easy. And when they drive fast, it shifts like you power shifted and slammed it in the gear. And it clunks and it chirps tire. And it's, you know, it's not refined at all. It's, you know, 13 years old. But, um... I don't know. I just wanted to share that with you because uh, I think it kind of presents that point that I've that I've made about. I think it's just good to grow the marketplace and get more information out there because, like in this instance, if someone did some research, maybe they came to me with different expectations, right? I think they came with expectations of supercar, five hundred horsepower, V ten. You know, it's going to throw me in my seat. It's a hundred thousand dollars new. It's going to be super refined. But thing, you know, the reality of it, it's thirteen years old. It's nowhere near worth that much anymore. It's like worth 16 and some change. Uh, and it's very old technology and it feels like it. So you're into it for a, a different feel, you know, a different type of engagement. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, uh, I, I will always answer those questions. I'm glad that a lot of you are, are getting into it, that are interested in importing, that are trying to bring some parts over, uh, cars that have maybe taken me up on my advice. I've had some people follow up of my last podcast where you want to get into parts, get one. Get a, a small part through a Yahoo Auctions, create an account, anyone can do it. You know, do the translation on Google so you know what you're doing. You have to send them some money to open your account, but it's just an easy way to get a JDM part. It's not gonna be a huge margin. It might not be a margin at all, but it'll get you engaged, understanding the process. Because like I've said, with cars, with parts, read about it till you're blue in the face. It doesn't stick until you go through it. And even then, it's always a moving target. There's always rules and changes and tweaks and things locally, federally, that you're going to have to negotiate through. Always. So you're not just going to have, like me, I have a 20-point process I go through. There's always a little bit of a hitch. The thing is, you've been through it, you anticipate it, and it's not a problem. So just get through it. Just get started. And I'm here for you. I'm here to answer any questions. So um, on this episode, huge lead-in, obviously. I, I get all these tangents. I hope you guys like it. Let me know. You know what? Let me know. Uh, send me some messages if you think I ramble on too much about my experiences, if I sound like a know-it-all. Let me know. I mean, because like I said, I, I enjoy feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, really. Uh I'm not just one that's going to say, hey, if you like what you hear, you know, leave, leave a positive review. You know, if you don't, call me out. That's fine. Uh, but my, uh, my safety net here <laughs> is always that I never claim to be an expert. I am sharing what I've gone through. Hopefully it helps you, you know, avoid some pitfalls, avoid some mistakes, or maybe it's just entertaining to listen to, you know? I mean, whatever. So, uh, so I wanted to get into some... Uh, so last episode, I talked about importing non-running cars so people asking about like chassis and stuff like that and uh i went into some detail about it not really being there's always exceptions so you're always going to find somebody that did it saved a lot of money and it was a good thing for like maybe a build they wanted to start or maybe a car they wanted to track but i like to operate on rules and something that's a little more general is that it's not usually cost effective for whatever you save on the la on the value of it because it's not running right or it's without motor shell, whatever it may be, is usually negated in the extra costs. Um, so uh, I'm going to share a story, actually something interesting that, uh, you know, that, that I, I didn't go through personally, but I've, I've heard of, I've talked to somebody that, uh, that went through it importing a car. And I just want to share the story with you. Maybe it might shed a little more light because I know I was throwing a bunch of stuff at you last episode about that. And I think this might bring it to more of a personal level and maybe some little nuances that I didn't cover there before. But uh, about bringing a car in, maybe the not that isn't a roller, but maybe something that just has, that's just rough. So I talked about like the ones that are going to need rebuilt, but maybe one that's just rough, that maybe just has an engine noise or smoke or whatever it may be to save money. So we're going to talk about that. I also want to go over a couple, uh, you know, wintertime. We've talked about all-wheel drive cars. I haven't really talked much about trucks. Now I'm far from an expert in the trucks, but there's some pretty cool ones out there that uh, share some parts with the U.S. models. 
but offer maybe some cooler uh, engines, some other little nuances there that maybe you're not aware of, maybe you are, but just to, just to talk about and get it out there, some trucks that are you know available for importing that I think are really cool uh, to, to give kind of a, a twist on, you know, if you're looking for a daily, you know, uh, whether it be something to like do a resto mod, like on an old 610 Datsun, where you can put, you know, name your Skyline motor or L-Series, whatever it is, or, uh, or something that's a little more utilitarian, you know, like a Toyota Helix, Nissan Patrol, Nissan Safari, stuff like that. So, uh, and obviously we know the Land Cruisers and all that, but I'm going to talk about trucks a little bit. And then uh, also going to throw in a uh, kind of an oddball. We'll call it oddball of the day. I think I'm going to start doing this with the podcast. I'm going to pick out a car that isn't super well known. Uh, there's not a ton of them, but can be had for a nice price and, you know, have some parts easy to source in the States. It could be a fun build that will have you looking like that will have you bringing attention at cars and coffee like a McLaren would, just because you have this weird car that no one's seen before. You know, so I'm going to talk about. Actually, I have two. I have two oddballs. We're gonna we're gonna chat a little bit about right-hand drive stuff. So, so yeah, and um, and I'm gonna start off with an update, as always. So, business update: where I'm at right now. I'm. Uh, I might get interrupted. My kid's gonna be home from school in like ten minutes. So if he does, whatever. That's what's gonna be. Again, <laughs> transparent view on what's going on in my life. You know, I. Uh, Actually, had a day here. I've been I've been doing a lot of detailing, uh, ramping up Elusive Auto Shine. Uh, if you haven't already, please you know follow because uh, I have like zero following out there. It's just Elusive Auto Shine on uh, on social, you know, page on Facebook and Instagram there. So, and I'll just you know post tips and cars I've been working on because I mean, listen, even if we're into uh, whether you're into tracking your car, showing your car, obviously. Uh, I mean, these are the things I've been around a lot. So whether it's restoring a car and prepping it for a show or whether it's, you know, just uh, taking the appropriate measures of protection for a track car, you know, stuff, sealing the wheels, whatever it may be. So I'll throw in some fun things like that in the feed if you want to follow. Uh, if you're not into it, that's fine. But uh, yeah, so I've been I've been busy with that until probably last week. You know, this time of year is really slow uh, for detailing here. I mean, I'm in. Charlotte, North Carolina, but it's still, it gets cold and it snows. Not much snow, but when it's cold, people usually don't think to detail. Uh, I'm fine with it. It'll, it'll change some products that I use. It'll change some, um, some techniques, you know, to get the job done, depending on what sealants I'm working with, um, what coatings, you know, if we're doing a ceramic. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's been a slower time of year, which is stressful from a, an income standpoint. But... I'm always a silver lining guy. This has freed up some time. So I've had some time to kind of reevaluate my strategies, maybe put a little more time into my website, which is basic at best. You know, I did it myself. It's okay. You know, it, it gets some, some information across, but you know, this has given me a chance to see like how I'm going to funnel people there. Because again, I talk about, I talk about having fans and, um, you know, it's it's null and void if people people can't find you. So obviously, it's paramount for me to get out there a little more and uh, and share some stuff and and find a better way to use the website, something more engaging rather than just you know you Google search me, you find it, and you're like, okay, whatever. There's like two cars in inventory. This dude does detailing, whatever. I get no value out of it. I want to provide some value, so you know, I'm working on you know, setting up a blog, a little more information that kind of encapsulates these podcasts and maybe a little more information since I only do these, you know, every, every two or three weeks, um, you know, but uh, something like that that's more engaging. So putting some more time in on that. And I mean, you know, you might have heard, I've been having ridiculous issues with this microphone. I've, I have another one too. For some reason, it's not interfacing well with my Computers, so halfway through this podcast, I might it might just switch over to my phone because I always use that as backup. But uh, either way, you know, I want to keep it coming, and I don't want it, you know my equipment to be an excuse not for making these because I love making these podcasts. And uh, like I said, I've really enjoyed the uh, the interaction I've had out there with you guys. But you know, so the um, yeah the uh, the detailing's been been going well. Uh, this extra time's been good. Like I said, to get people in. Uh, get things lined up with the move, you know, to Pittsburgh. So, I mean, we're, we're far off. And like I mentioned in the previous episode, there's a lot of things I'm trying to, trying to put together here because since, um, 
you know, the recent changes in, you know, the recent changes in uh, the shipping company that I usually go with, WWL, um, they only want to deal with brokers now for uh, customs. So I don't want to deal with brokers. It's it's redundant. Uh, it, and it's not a, it's not only the uh, paying them the money because it's not, I mean, it's not a ton, but it's still kind of ridiculous what they charge to fill out a couple sheets that I have experience filling out. I've always done by myself. I've always submitted them by myself in person on the port at the port. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find ways around that. And my only solution thus far is to become a broker myself. So now, and if any of you have any experience with it, with this, uh, hit me up, hit me up. Cause I'm, I'm trying to figure out if it's worth it for me to, uh, do the coursework. I mean, it's apparently it's really, it's a really hard test to pass a ton of reference material, and I mean, listen, people do this for careers. I would just be doing this as a, as an accompaniment to the services I already offer, you know? So it's like, is this, you know, three, four months of studying, taking a, pa a test that, you know, less than 10% uh, passed the first time out. So I might have to do it multiple times. I've been out of test taking forever. Who knows how hard it's going to be for me. It might take me three times. It's going to be a big expense, you know, a lot of time. And it's just to solve this little problem. But I think in moving forward and just in seeing how this business goes and how it is to work with these different, uh, these different organizations, that the more I can cut out, the better. And it's just, uh, it, it's just the time, it's the stress. And, and really, I always like to be ahead of, of change because my thought is this is one shipping company that makes this change. There's only two that I deal with that, uh, that come out of Japan regularly to the ports that I use out of you know, to come out of uh, Yokohama or, uh, you know, Tokyo, whatever it is, there's two companies. So one of them has changed their policy. So, I mean, that means if the other one does, like I'm totally stuck dealing with brokers and I don't want to do that. So does it make sense? I don't know. What do you think? Does it make sense for me to get a, get ahead of the curve and all the time it's going to take for this? I mean, really money-wise, it's going to save me like $150 a car, which adds up, but it's not much. I mean, I'd have to import, you know, 10 or 12 cars for it to pay for the coursework and the tests and all that stuff to even break even. So it's not really from that standpoint, but like an efficiency, a flexibility, I'd be able to do more bringing cars in for people to really uh, cut everyone out. So it's, they're just dealing with me, which I think just makes everything more seamless and enjoyable uh, if, if you're the customer, you know? So yeah, if you have any experience out there, with uh, passing an import broker test. I know it's a long shot, but uh, yeah, I mean, share with me. Let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, and even if you have any feedback, if you think that it's, uh, it's a good use of time, because I'm, I'm struggling. I'm going back and forth, you know? So I have this time. I mean, I started this whole little conversation uh, because I, I have free time this time of year because the detailing's slow, you know? And inventory is what it is. You know, I'm not really looking to get any more cars before we take the move. So there's this lull and it's like, is this the best use of time? You know, should I be putting more time into the website? Should I be putting more time into social media? Should I be putting more time into, you know, getting things lined up in Pittsburgh, you know, for the move? It's, uh, it's tough. I mean, I feel like this, this next six months is going to be way harder than whatever I went through starting the business. And, and that's, that's why I like to share this stuff because you might be going through the same thing. You might be like, man, this is, is this worth it? Is it, it, no one can answer that. You know, no one can sit there and say, yeah, opening your own business is totally worth it because it might not be for you. You know, I mean, in my experience, the, the ones that win are the ones that can hold their breath the longest. Some people don't like being underwater. You know what I mean? Some people aren't comfortable holding their breath. So, you know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally fine. You know, I mean, it's, it takes all kinds to make the world go round. And, uh, and you're gonna have times like I, you know, uh, it was a hobby that turned into something that was worth it. So then that's kind of when things are good. Cause you're like, oh, this hobby's like making money and I enjoy it. And you know, I can see myself being able to transition. And then you're gonna go through a time where you have to start all the way over. You know, where it's like, you gotta reinvest, you need some property, dealer license, like, you know, all these other things that I'm, I'm looking into incorporate because you, you need different revenue streams for a business to, to stay afloat. You know, we could we could want to bring in classic Japanese cars all we want, you know, and get excited about bringing in, 
you know, expensive ones, cheap ones, whatever it is, some bring in some classic Skylines or some, you know, some track cars or FDs, whatever it is, like, yeah, that's all sexy and exciting, but I mean, let's be real, like anything, you need other revenue streams because there's going to be winter time where there's a lull. There's going to be market changes, you know. You know, there's probably in three years, there's going to be a big, you know, crash in the market. So people aren't going to have as much expendable income for just fun cars. So are you ready for that, for that shift? You know, that's probably things are going great and then I'm going to have to reinvent again. And that's exciting to me, but it's also, you know, I think it's it's healthy. It's it's healthy for me to talk about it out loud uh, it just gets my brain working in a different way. And, and sometimes third-party perspective is the clearest perspective. So, you know, whenever you guys chime in and, and have a thought or share an email, that's why I always appreciate. And I, uh, you know, I've uh, sometimes it, it, it shifts the, the track that I'm thinking because I always I was want to listen to the consumers, people out there that are, you know, buying these things around these things. So I don't know. So we're looking in the, the broker license I'm still undecided there. Um, I have to make a choice soon because I think in April is the next test and they say you need like three, four months to study. So uh, we'll see about that. And then uh, then the other thing is just the, the space, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, all the, uh, all the things I'm going to have to figure out regarding uh, getting a dealership license, a standalone building. Uh, and then I have to put stuff in it, you know. So the goal is to have zero cars. I have the Cedric. I have the FC. Uh, so I need to get those sold before we move. So uh, st- stay tuned, because if those things are still around for like three or four more months, it might be a bit of a fire sale. Someone's going to get a hell of a deal. But you know what? That is okay, because I'd rather go somewhere and someone enjoy it than me lug it up to Pittsburgh, try to find a place for it when I'm trying to fix a place up, you know, do the flooring, whatever it is in a shop. So I, I want to have nothing and start fresh there. That is the goal. Lean and start fresh. But um so, so yeah, that's where I'm at with the business. Uh, as always, appreciate the listen for that and any kind of feedback. So, so here's the deal with the trucks, right? So, um, actually, no. Before the trucks, I just want to get into uh, to the bringing in of track cars. And this will only be like five, ten minutes. Because if you haven't heard it, I went into detail of bringing in cars, shells, and whatnot in the previous episode. So check it out. But um, I, I keep getting questions about it. You know, I've had another handful of emails just this week uh, about it. So, so here's the thing. I'm going to share a story with you about, uh, about someone that wanted to bring over a track car. So, uh, and this is a car that they were going to rebuild the engine, uh, that they were going to, uh, you know, totally gut it, full suspension work. So it's like, why do I need like a 3.5 or four grade auction car? That's a waste of money. You know, I, I want to bring in something that needs paint work, needs body work, maybe has some smoke issues uh, some engine issues, whatever it may be. So, uh, so they start sourcing it, right? They find, uh, an FD, an FD that they really like. It's kind of the perfect thing, right? It's not, uh, you know, it's an R grade, which means it had a repair, but nothing bent frame, no replaced, uh, uh, radiator cores, whatever it may be. Um, everything looked straight. It was just, uh, you know, there was some corrosion, the paint was totally faded out, so it needed a total paint job. And it started, and it ran, but it just blows smoke, right? So, FD guys out there, rotary heads, you guys are tuned in right now. Ears are flopping around. You're like, yep, yep, it can be this, 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 this. This is why you stay away from it. But, uh, I don't know. If you hear that, you know, you do the auction report, uh, I don't believe the guy had someone started up. It was just based on the auction report. So maybe things would be different if, um, like my contact over there, I mean, we will FaceTime, start up, you know, listen, 30-some pictures. So maybe I'll take a chance on that. But without all of that, eh, this is what can happen to you. So what happens is uh, he wins the car, gets it for a great price, right? So nice. An FD, perfect for, perfect platform for whatever he wanted to do with it, uh, road race. Uh, I actually don't know. I don't know the guy personally. This is a, this is a story through a, uh, a dealer in Japan. So, um, so he, uh, you know, export stuff, all that stuff's done. So it's at port waiting to leave. So row, row shipping, just in case you don't know, row, row is short for roll on, roll off. And that's where they ship the car. They have to drive it onto the boat and it ships in the belly of the ship. My opinion, best way to ship a car 
because uh, you don't have forklifts moving it around or shipping containers are really expensive unless you fill them up. And still with people open it, putting them in there, opening the doors and whatever. I, I think honestly, Roro, it's enclosed. It's in the belly of the ship. Yes, people are starting and driving it. So you could be susceptible to some scrapes on lower cars, but for the price point, it's the way to do it. Um, that being said, the car's at port. It's ready to roll. It's waiting to, to hop on the ship. Now, uh, they go to start it, to drive it onto the boat. Doesn't start. Not a big deal, right? Because uh, the, the port handlers, uh, the packers, if you will, they always have jump boxes because cars usually sit and they'll be dead. So they'll jump it and whatever. They'll, they'll get it on there. They will not push it. They will not tow it, though. Uh, so it needs to get in on its own accord. Uh, so, and this, this is why it's so paramount having the right person in Japan because if it's there with too much gas, if it has a leak you don't know about, anything, it could be stranded. And this, again, disclaimer, can't stress enough, and maybe this is self-promoting, but I don't care because I know it's important. I have someone that looks at everything that's more scrupulous than I am with cars, and if you don't have that, it's such a risk because if there's a drop, if it starts leaking rad fluid or oil, uh, they might not put it on the boat, you know, or if it has too much gas, there's going to be an extra fee, or if it needs to be raised or lowered. If, if you're dealing with someone that doesn't offer those services or have the foresight to say, eh, I don't think this is going to hit the approach angle. We need to look at like adjusting the suspension. You don't want to wait until it's too late, miss the shipping schedule or leave it to a local, like someone you don't know, or a packer to, to sort things out for you. You know what I mean? So it is paramount to have that person, you know, especially if you're gonna have a car that's not perfect. You know, I mean, let's be real, none of them are. I don't even care if it's a four grade. There's always issues. They're classics. So let's always think about that. I don't care the mileage, the grade, the score, the sheet, always going to be a surprise. Might be small, might be shitty. But there's always going to be a surprise. Uh, all about expectations. So the car doesn't start. Uh, jump box goes on. It starts. It then dies. Okay, fine. They jump it again. It then dies. Jump it a third time. It dies. It's smoking. Uh, so that's it. So really, Packer's done. They move on to the next thing. So uh, it's on you or whoever you know over there. Hopefully someone that like knows their shit and that's got it together. Uh, to, to get things rectified before the ship goes or else you're going to have to leave it there for the, next, uh, for the next ship. And sometimes they're not super frequent, especially this time of year. So then you're going to have to start to pay some uh, storage fees, you know, at the port. So, uh, so yeah, so this car wasn't, uh, it was stalling essentially. You know, wouldn't get in gear. It was stalling. So uh, it was stranded there. So then this person... Um, so, and I'm not going to put any names out there, but they, they bought it from a, a broker and exporter uh, based in Japan that, you know, does high volume, but there's not a lot of detail. So, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll throw out a lot of bids on stuff, uh, not really live bidding, but you can usually get good deals using them. Uh, but again, there's not a lot of, not a lot of detail. And since this person thinks, well, I don't, I'm not looking for a pristine one. I don't need a lot of detail. Uh, contrary, uh, if you're looking for one that's rough, you need the most detail because this is not a sight unseen like you're living in Georgia and you're buying something in Pennsylvania. This is another country. Like once it's here, it's here, it's yours. There's no restitution. You're not going to send it back because someone didn't tell you it had low compression or whatever. Um, so the next thing you have to do there, you're, you're at the helm of, uh, of, of who can find who to fix it. So... Uh, there's some people that come in and out of the ports uh, that'll fix things that'll work for exporters. Some of them have people on site that'll do, you know, minor things like raise coilovers or, uh, you know, if there's a spark issue, maybe some easy troubleshooting to get the car to start. Uh, and they charge a fee and it's not crazy. So I'm not saying if, you, if the car stalls, you're like stuck, you got to send it to a local shop to work on it. There is stuff that can be done there. But they don't allow too much in there. It's basically the tools you can carry or fit in the back of, you know, one of the small parts trucks, whatever it may be, and take care of the, take care of the issue. So, um, 
So since this was not starting installing, then they looked underneath and they saw an oil leak. Now, you can have an oil leak and have a car drive fine, right? Like, we've all been there. There's been a leak, like, eh, as long as you still have compression. I mean, you could drive for thousands of miles on, on a leak, you know? I mean, what's a leak? A leak could be anything. A leak could, a leak could be, you know, like a uh, precursor for major, major engine failure, or it could just be a uh, oil filter that wasn't tightened all the way, you know? Or maybe just a seal going around the oil pan, you know, like, or it could be a rear main seal. A million things, right? We don't need to get into what causes oil leaks. Suffice it to say, there's an oil leak, uh, and they don't want leaks on the ship, uh, if at all. I mean, there's, there's definitely going to be drops and drips here and there. I'm not saying they're with the microscope, but uh, definitely if a car has starting issues, they're going to look at it with a little more detail. So this car is then stuck there at the port. Uh, it's, it's nothing that, that the locals, and I think the company used too, didn't really have a solution. So, uh, so this person had to scramble, find somebody that, uh, I don't know what you want to call, I mean, we'll just call them a broker to like a local, uh, to some of the local shops. So someone that was like English speaking, they would find a place to fix it and arrange for transport to get it there. Uh. Not not easy to do, uh, and then also, again, we're we're kind of at the at the mercy of this shop. So the shop might say, I don't know, like it's a rotary, it might need it might need all new seals to do that. I mean, the whole motor has to be broken down. Uh, it could be that, or it could be you know something small. It could be a vacuum issue, you know, which they have a million vacuum lines. So, but I mean that's pretty easy to troubleshoot, but. You really don't have that level of communication to say, hey, you know what, just do this, bypass this, I just need to get it running. So, so to wrap this one up, uh, essentially this is someone that wanted to bring over a car, save some money to get one that's rough running, uh, didn't have a good contact, if you will, didn't have good uh, communication, and ended up... Uh, they got it to a shop, which I thought was super resourceful because usually the exporter has some contacts and should do that. That wasn't the case. So he was kind of on his own to find somebody that could connect him with a shop, arrange pickup. Um, but, you know, got hit with a hefty bill for, um, for towing in and out of there, you know, because you need a local shop or a transport company that has, you know, clearance that can go in and out of the port. Most shops won't have that. So then they have to hire somebody to transport it there. Even if it's 10 miles, it's going to be a decent fee. Uh, so I had to pay some extra for that. And then also they, um, they ended up uh, essentially saying it needed a rebuild. Um, he didn't really believe it. He wasn't buying it. But uh, they said that's the only way to stop the oil leak. If you want to risk, there were some other options. I don't know the details. Other options to fix it. To, but they couldn't guarantee that it would stop the leak. And it might get to port and they'd have to bring it back. So, um, <laughs> so the long and short of it is... Uh, he ended up doing a rebuild uh, with a shop he wasn't familiar with. And I don't know what he did once he brought it back. Like in my, my mind, I probably would have had it torn down again just because I don't know who did the work and what happened. But uh, this, was, this was a small issue that really got blown out of proportion and I don't think is an outlier. You know, just from, uh, and, and I've heard other smaller type stories uh, like this where you know, people had just outrageous fees to get things, really simple things fixed, changed, altered, bumpers removed, whatever it may be, uh, just to get the, the, the car on the boat, you know. Uh, I, I've even had people have to pay a crazy amount of fee because they had to drain the tank because the exporter didn't have, uh, didn't have the tank down, you know, uh, which is kind of curious because usually auction houses make them uh, have it below a certain amount, but who knows, maybe some of the remote ones up north, there's a ton of auction houses in Japan aren't, uh, aren't as strict with that. So who knows? But anyways, I wanted to share that story. Uh, not to discourage anyone, I still think that it can be done. You can find something that's rougher and, uh, and give it a good home, especially if you're looking to do a build. But it's... Um, it's, it's something you should just be aware of, you know, that it's not, uh, it's not just like, ah, well, whatever, they'll, just, they'll push it on the boat. I mean, there's certain things that you're one of thousands of cars that go through there daily, uh, so they're only going to spend so much time on it. If it doesn't work right, they're going to move on to the next, and it's up, for you, up to you to get things solved, up to you to find a solution, which isn't easy when you're a country away. 
across the ocean, wherever you may be. Speaking a different language, it's, uh, it's not easy. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, whenever something says engine smoke, things like that, yes, chances are you're not going to have someone sit there and uh, run a compression test. But just these are things you need to be aware of. So if you're saving money on it, make sure it's a lot. You know, if it's a difference, like say if you're looking at an FD and the difference between a clean one and one that's rough, typically isn't as much as you would think. You know, it might be a couple grand, unless it has a lot of mods on it. But if we're doing apples to apples, a kind of stock car, one that's clean, one that's rough, not a huge difference. So, and that couple grand could easily be scooped up, you know, because your options are two. You have two options. One to fix it, have someone fix it over there, which is kind of like good luck. Um, and option two is... Uh, to ship it on pallets, which is more expensive. It's not crazy. It's not. Uh, it's not double. It's maybe almost double, depending on the car. But uh, but they essentially move it around with a forklift. So not necessarily something you want to get involved with there, because it's like legit on like pallets and a forklift, and they just like move it around, put it in a spot, and then that's it. And then you have to deal with the port state side here, not being able to move it. So and that'll be another issue. So um, and then and then. Maybe option 2B is getting it shipped in a container, which is going to be like three or four grand. So whatever you saved is immediately uh, snatched up because like an FD to roll it, uh, roll on, roll off shipping, it's like the thousand, twelve hundred dollars, depending on the time of year and the schedule. Uh, and yeah, you'll be looking at three to four to put that in a container. So the money you saved will be null and void. So, you know, if you're going to do a rebuild, uh, unless you have an engine that you really want to put in, I mean, just... Yeah, bring one over. I think it's safe. I mean, all these cars are old unless they've had something done. If you're going to put high power into it, you're going to have to take it apart anyway. You know what I mean? So think of it that way. Sometimes money you save is money that bites you in the back end. So anyways, that was story time. Hopefully you got something out of that. So two of the trucks I want to talk about here. Uh, and they are... I'm not, they're not like rare. They're not anything crazy that no one's ever heard of before. But uh, there's a really good market for them in, uh, in auctions over in Japan. And, uh, and I think you, you get a lot of value for, for what you have here. So first off, the Nissan Patrol. So Nissan Patrol, super utilitarian. Uh, I believe chassis Y60. Uh, yeah, the Y60s. So like 87 and 97. Made for a long time. And they came in a lot of different variations, a 3-liter, a uh, 2.8 diesel, a 4.2 diesel, and a 4.2 petrol. So the 4.2 diesel is the one that people want. And that's the one that, you know, price-wise is going to get uh, it's gonna get up there. I mean, maybe by the time you get here, it'll be like in the mid-teens, a uh, clean one, uh, mid to low teens. Not awful, but, uh, but, I mean, these were, it's hard finding a clean one, but if you can, they're just... I think they're a cool truck because they kind of have, look like a Jeep Cherokee, like of the early 90s, but wider with mm, more aggressive fender flares, uh, circular headlights instead of the squared. Some subtle differences there, but it's, um, I think I think they're really cool. They used to be, uh, and, and they offered them the Patrol, uh, the Safari, uh, I believe was uh, another model, and then the uh, Maverick Ford offered it, which I don't know the history there. Someone out there might know better about how that all came about between Ford marketing this and Nissan. But um, yeah, I mean, you could get them outfitted with, uh, I mean, they, most of the models came with limited slips. You get them outfitted with a winch, factory winch, which tells you a lot about the car, you know, locking hubs, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, the um, the turbo versions, I think, are just really interesting, really interesting. They came with manuals too. So, uh, so that's one to look, look into if you're not super familiar with it, the Nissan Patrol. You know, if you're looking for kind of a utility, classic, some interesting design features and not something that we've had in the States because a lot of the Toyotas people are into, uh, Helix, things like that. I mean, we've had versions of those. They're just called Tacomas and Forerunners. Um, this, this is something we never had in, in the U S and I'm sure some other countries as well. So, and they came with, uh, they came with a lot of different iterations, you know, two doors, five doors, uh, well they came, yeah, two door pickup, three door wagon, five door, uh, you know, SUV. But, uh, back in the day, I think they just called it a fan. Uh, so yeah, yeah. And really the, um, 
from what I understand, the clearance in them's decent, the interior volume's good, and uh, they do share they do share some chassis parts with some USDM models um, of that era, so it shouldn't be too hard to source things. Other than body panels, obviously, with as in most of these cars, you're gonna have some issues, but as far as like chassis driveline, uh, it won't be awful sourcing stuff. And I mean, with the diesel ones, you know, if you could find one that's, uh, I mean, a lot of these were used for work, you know, uh, the equivalent of like a municipal uh, building vehicle or, you know, park vehicle here in the States. So they will have some high mileage on them, but if you find one with decent mileage, I mean, this is something that's, you know, like 260 horsepower, a lot of torque, low end torque, and, uh, you know, I mean, hundreds of thousands of miles you're gonna get out of it, out of that diesel motor. It's uh, TD42 is the motor that, uh, the biggest one that they offered in that generation. So look into that, kind of a cool one. Uh, another one to look in, I'm not gonna spend much time on it because I really don't know much of anything about it. I've just seen one before is the, uh, the Safari version. Uh, so that's just another one to look into. Uh, I don't believe there was a ton of changes between the, uh, the patrol and the Safari, but uh, yeah. So, and for the Toyotas, uh, and I've actually seen a decent amount of these being imported, even though, like I said, they have USDM counterparts, and that's the Toyota Helix. Uh, so you have the, um, the Helix and then the Helix Surf, which is essentially uh, the equivalent to our 4Runner, and the Helix is like the old, uh, uh, I believe they were Tacomas, hard bodies, whatever they called them back in the late 80s, early 90s, but... Uh, same body panels. So from that standpoint, body panels replaceable, uh, but you can have some better options uh, and some diesel options in those. Uh, they had some, some low power, but they had inline four uh, diesel options, you know, two four and a two eight liter. Um, so, I mean, if you're looking for something that's not, I mean, not a truck, you're gonna tow something, but again, these are kind of fun dailies. I would say I'd classify these as like really fun, like winter beaters, right? So someone's looking for, a truck that they can tow, put stuff in, not tow cars with or anything, but, you know, that they can, uh, you know, take up to the mountain to go snowboarding, or they can just, you know, they live in, uh, you know, an area up north that's a little more snowy, and the winters are rough, and you have kind of a cool right-hand drive, utilitarian thing that most people aren't going to see. It's going to grab some attention, and, uh, and it's functional and, like, very easy to work on to source stuff for. Uh, and you can take it to, you know, February cars and coffee and get some looks. You know what I mean? I think it's, and they're, they're not bitted up. They're not crazy. I mean, like I said, if you're looking for like a really clean patrol, maybe these helixes, uh, nothing's going to bring crazy money, especially these helixes you can get for super cheap and bring them over cheaper than, you know, in most cases, the USDM counterparts, uh, which I think is why some people go for them. And yeah, and you're going to get some diesel options. Uh, who knows? You might get some Side view mirrors mounted on the uh, on the fenders, you know, some cool JDM touches, especially if you get one that's modded up with some nice wheels and, and whatnot. So, uh, so yeah, I just want to, and I might do an episode that focuses a little more on it. I guess this is more of a barometer, see if you guys care at all about uh, any options other than, you know, what we've talked about, kind of the JDM cars and the sports cars, and we'll get into VIPs and K cars and stuff like that, but uh I don't really talk much truck stuff, and there's just there's a lot of good ones out there. And this just scratches the surface. These are, these are two that I think are just really easy to find, and I think are a good value and easy to work with. But there's a, a lot of different ones, and obviously there's the classics. There's you know the the Land Rovers. There's the uh, Land Cruisers, which the Land Cruisers I think are a really good buy right now. Actually, if you're looking for something that's reliable. Uh, that's that's fun. It's 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 not going to grab the attention maybe because you know we've seen them stateside here. But the Land Cruisers of the era, uh, early '90s, I think are a really good buy now because they are. It's hard to find one that's not totally beat because they were used for, you know, work trucks essentially. A lot of like like I said before, like municipal jobs, government, you know, parks and rec, whatever it may be. Like in Japan, that's what they use them for. You know, so uh, a lot of them have some some rough miles on them, but the clean ones are going for decent money now. But just with seeing what the market is doing here, like following them uh, through Haggerty or whatever it may be, the market is continue. They continue to get more expensive. The USDM versions, and I think the right-hand drive ones were kind of in that sweet spot where you can get the right-hand drive ones for less, and but there's still a market because there's still some people that really like 
uh, just that, that uniqueness of it being right-hand drive, even though the body and everything looks very similar. You know, and there were some different options, you know, from the USDM versions as well. So it's not like you're just getting a carbon copy, but uh, yeah, I mean, Land Cruiser, and I mean, you're probably, you know, clean one, you're gonna be in the, eh, you'll be in the mid-teens, you know, uh, depending on, I mean, like anything else. Uh, and it could go over 20 if it's, you know, super clean and has a bunch of mods and stuff like that. But, uh, and, you know, I've seen some for low teens, uh, depending on condition. They, wide variety of those. But the main thing is, don't get one from up north if you can avoid it, uh, because it's susceptible to rust. So try to find something uh, that's a little more south. Uh, mileage isn't a big thing. It's mainly the corrosion with them and uh, just, just overall condition if it was used for something like work duty, uh, it was gonna be pretty beat on. Okay, so let me, uh, <laughs> I branched off for a second there. Uh, I, I'm sure I edited the pause out, but uh, just in case I lose my train of thought, my uh, in the middle of recording here, my son fell in his room and just cut his head open. So I had to take take care of that. But hey, as is uh, as is life, as is life as a uh, as a parent when you're trying to do so many things at once. Uh, <laughs> but like I was saying, to get back into it with Land Cruisers, I think a great. Uh, a great buy right now, especially since the USDM ones are going up in value. I think that is a, a buy, drive, and hold, and you're getting your money back, maybe making some on it. I mean, honestly. And uh, just to let you know, I think I'm starting to put together uh, a list, and I want to go over some particulars. I think the next podcast is going to be pretty intense with uh, with some data I'm going to share of uh, data slash, slash just my observation of what I think would be... Uh, good cars to, uh, if you're looking for something, not as an investment opportunity, but something you can drive, have fun with, and you're not really going to have to worry too much about depreciation or market or anything like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a couple things there. Well, more than a couple, I'm going to make a list for the next one. So I think that should be a good listen. If that's, uh, you know, if you're in the market, if you're getting ready to purchase something, come out of, uh, coming out of the winter months here, which if you are, whether it be a truck, whether it be a Sylvia, or anything in between, a K car, who knows? Uh, I think now, especially February, I think not a, not as much to choose from, but I think this is a, the best time to buy because you are gonna be getting your car uh, and legal and all that stuff close to springtime, so you'll be ready to roll with it, but you'll be able to take advantage of the winter uh, type market in Japan, which like it does in the States or whatever country you're in, uh, when there's inclement weather, the market's not as strong. Uh, so two things there. You will get a better value. You'll be able to get something for cheaper, but you have less to choose from. So if you can exercise patience, pluck the right thing at the right time, I think this is a good time to really start. If you're thinking like, hey, I want something springtime, don't wait for spring. I think next couple months, start pushing it hard, researching hard, uh, whether it's reaching out to me or someone else or uh, whatever avenue you want to bring a car in, but I think uh, I think we're getting close to that time. If you want something fresh and ready to go when the uh, when the weather breaks, so and uh, oh, and to, so to close things out before we uh, before we sign off here, I promised you a couple cars. They're a little like little oddballs. Maybe not for you know people listening in different countries. You might be like, yeah, New Zealand, we have these things all the time, but. Uh, in the U.S., maybe some oddballs. If you're looking for something that's like fun, a little weird, uh, you can still get parts for a bit of an attention getter, but like, you know, not sports cars or anything crazy like that. Uh, so for those into the classics, uh, so the Japanese classics, right? The, you know, the old Skylines, you know, the, the R30s and on back, the... Uh, you know, the old Cosmos, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of really cool, I mean, I know we say anything older than 25 years is classic, but I'm talking about, uh, the mid to early seventies, sixties cars, right? Uh, and I'm not going to get into all the ones that I like because I'll end up talking for another half hour, but 
there's one that stands out to me that's overlooked that reminds me of uh, some similar versions, uh, similar cars of the time that uh, if modded, kind of like a resto mod, can look super cool, in my opinion. And it's the Mitsubishi Galant Sigma. So the Galant's been around forever. I think, what, the 50s, if I'm not mistaken? You know what, I'm going to fact check myself right now. Uh, so good, I'm glad I did. 69. So 69 and obviously, you know, still around. So, but the Galant Sigma is, uh, kind of looks, uh, has Mazda looking front lights uh, of that era. Uh, kind of like the, uh, uh, was it the RX-3 and, you know, a bunch of other ones with the double circular headlights. Kind of a wide, low-slung roof line. And, uh, and, and a stumpy, a stumpy bum. But I just think uh, a really cool car. And, and like I said, for uh, if you're looking for like classic, classic, comes in a four-door iteration with, uh, with a two-liter, five-speed, you know, and you throw in some, uh, some proper offset 14s of your choice, you know, old works, whatever it may be, Wantanabis. Uh, yes, you can put Wantanabis on stuff other than Nissans, and it'll look good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think... I, you know, there's one, uh, there's one, and I just thought of it because uh, I've seen them before, but there's one at auction now that's red, 59,000 kilometers. Uh, it's in Nagoya, and it's, uh, it's gorgeous. You know, it has the fender, the fender aero uh, side mirrors. It's four-door, low-slung, front-air dam, uh, some SSRs, I believe. And, uh, and I just think it's one you don't see often, if at all, ever. Uh, there's a there's some good aftermarket for it and uh, I mean really a lot of them like the uh, like the early to mid 70s skylines it, it's, it shares a lot of similar body lines in my opinion it's just uh, you know maybe there's Mitsubishi heads out there that are looking for something different uh, you know from what everyone else has from that generation I just think they're uh, I think they're cool so something to look into so old gallants and they're not priced like other classics uh, in Japan. You know, one could be had for a reasonable cost. You know, uh, it's probably kind of in that sweet spot, like in the in the teens, depending on you know how they're how they're done. So uh, even low teens, you know, for some with some slight uh, restoration and mods on them. So yeah, it's like it's it's an affordable classic. Well, now we'll we'll call it historic car. You know, but uh, with some heritage. So, and that's one that can be like a, a cruiser. It can be uh, it can be retrofitted with a lot of stuff. It can be uh, a nice chassis for like some some vintage type racing. Uh, you know, if you just want something loud and low, or if you just want something period correct and stock, like it's one of those that kind of fits all those niches depending on how you build it. Um, now, a quirky oddball one would be uh, the Mighty Boy, the Suzuki Mighty Boy, the Suzuki Mighty Boy. I can't say it enough, Suzuki Mighty Boy, Suzuki Mighty Boy. It's, uh, it looks just like that. It looks like Scrappy-Doo. It looks like that little, like the Napoleon Complex little bratty kid that just doesn't realize that he's a foot shorter than everyone. Uh, it just, it looks like a smash version of something else with a truck bed. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's quirky. I bet if you put some cool wheels on them, it could be, a, it could be something. But it's, uh, it's essentially, no, it's not... Well, yeah, it's essentially 550cc, so it's uh, it's a K car, and it has a tiny bed. I'd say I don't have the stats on it, but it looks like uh, like a three foot at most bed, truck bed, like legit tailgate drops down. It looks like it should have been a hatchback. It almost looks like a Golf uh, of that era, you know, uh, late 80s or so. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the duration I'm thinking of is late 80s, so like 87 to 90, uh, I, th I think are just really cool. If you're looking for, like, a K car that has a truck bed and that's small and, like, it does. It looks like a hatchback that you modded to put a truck bed on it. I think it'd be a head turner. You'll never see another one. And, I mean, you could get one for dirt cheap, like super cheap. I mean, we're talking, you know here here and legal for under 10 grand maybe less than that maybe like in the sixes 
I mean, it's it's actually one of those cars that most of the uh, most of the cost is just going to be in getting here. You know, I mean, you will probably win one for like three grand or two grand. So, mighty boy, Suzuki mighty boy. I don't know why I just made that Italian, but it's a mighty boy. Uh, but yeah, so that's my quirky car of the day. The Mitsubishi, not really quirky. It's just something you're not going to see every day. And I think just uh, no one really talks about it, at least in my circles. And there's some really cool ones out there available that have been restoed. And uh, I don't know, I'd, I'd like to have one in the collection someday, to be honest with you. Um, I think it'd be cool. It'd be a cool contrast. So anyways, that's it. I'm wrapping this one up. Uh, I have some editing to do since, um, you know, we had some, uh, I had some interruptions here. I had a microphone cut out. Uh, I had my son get injured, but hey, when I say I'm going to get a podcast done, it was on my list, I'm wrapping it up today. So I got it. I don't know how long this is going to be, probably 40, 50 minutes, who knows. Uh, but uh, hopefully it's, it's, it's easy to follow for you guys. And, uh, and listen, as always, appreciate the time. And more importantly, because uh, I know time's valuable, but let's be real. You can listen to a podcast doing a bunch of stuff, you know, doing spreadsheets, working on your car, whatever you're into. I mean, depending on how multifaceted your brain is, I mean, I know a lot of people that listen to them when they're answering to just mundane emails. So, uh, but I'm still going to thank you for the time, but mainly it's uh, it's the interaction. I, I appreciate all the questions, people reaching out. I've had some great conversations, uh, you know, especially recently with people looking to import. So, you know, if um, obviously I have the Cedric in the RX-7 FC, uh, still not painted yet, but it will be soon if you're looking for an FC with lower mileage and, uh, and an origin type body kit on it, uh, hit me up, the Cedric. Uh, I still, and listen, if anyone can fact check, check me, hook it up. But from my research, I have the lowest mileage Nissan Cedric in the States. Uh, so check that up, check that out on uh, lucivatoco.com. And, um, yeah, keep, keep the questions coming. I appreciate the, the support. You know, if, uh, if it's convenient at a time and space to leave a review, uh, it's greatly helpful, you know, just to, just to bump me up there in the, uh, in the ratings. So if you like what you hear, leave a review. If you hate what you hear, hey, you can still leave a review. I'm not going to say like, hey, I just want to hear the roses. I prefer that you just email me directly and say, Dante, you suck. Shut your face. But uh, hey, it's free country as far as I know in certain standpoints. That's another talk for another day. But, uh, yeah, so in, uh, in social media, of course, Elusive Auto Co. on Instagram, Facebook, Dante at ElusiveAutoCo.com. If you want to message me directly, send me pictures of your builds. Uh, thank you for all of those. I'm sure you know who you are that have sent me pictures of your builds uh, via Facebook or email. Uh, I just like seeing them. And like I said, sometimes, uh, most of the times I learn some stuff about, uh, you know, builds, how things go together, what people are doing out there. So you're the pulse to my business and I always want to keep it that way. You know, you drive it, you keep it running. So, um, so yeah, let's just keep, let's keep the conversation going out there. Let's get some more JDM cars in here. Uh, if you need, uh, if you want to bring something in specific, I have consulting services, which you have full access to pictures, uh, startup, live bidding, not just bidding and hoping for the best on vehicles. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you get contact with me the whole time through the process to see uh, where things in, are in the stage, filling out the forms, all of that. Uh, I share everything completely transparent, all on the table. So uh, you, can, you can maybe do it by yourself someday or you just have someone else, uh, which I recommend, take the burden for the first one, you know, and, uh, and you might see that it's not worth your time to mess with it. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, if you're looking to bring something in, of course, hit me up, let me know what you want, and, uh, and I can help set some expectations, let you know what's out there, and, and we'll go from there. So, as always, enjoy the drive. I'll talk to you out there. Peace.